For our scripture reading this evening, we turn to Psalm 127. 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. We're going to consider the first two verses. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, we gather here on this prayer day because we pray, and especially on this day we pray to our God, recognizing that he is sovereign over all matters of heaven and of earth. We pray because God is sovereign over matters of rain and sunshine, because God is sovereign over matters of riches and poverty, because God is sovereign over all earthly things. All earthly things, not only the care of the animals and of the creation, but of our own care, is in the hand of our God. And we pray to God because we recognize that God is the one who provides us with all things necessary, not only for the soul, but also for the body. And that especially is what we consider on such a night as this. Included in our prayers to God our prayers for our earthly work and our earthly labors. Such prayers are also necessary because God, in the first place, is pleased to provide us with what we need in the way of labor or work. That is the way that God ordinarily is pleased to provide the things that we need, especially for our body. Besides that, we pray for our labor and our work because exactly, exactly because God does provide in the way of labor, we can be inclined when God provides for us through that labor to imagine that we ourselves have obtained these things and not God at all. So we pray reminding ourselves always that no matter the labor involved, God is the one who always provides for us no matter what. Lastly, we pray for our labor 
so that we do not forget to give thanks. Part of recognizing God's provision is so that we can be thankful to God for what He's given us and also then be content with what God gives us in the way of labor. But that's not the only purpose of prayer. Our text makes clear there is another purpose of prayer and something we seek from God when we go to God to pray for our earthly needs and especially when we go to God and pray about our labor or work. And that is, we go to God to ask for His blessing. His blessing. That's what our text is referring to. The conviction of the psalmist here, when he pens this psalm, and when these words are put in our lips, is that unless the Lord bless the labors of the workmen, whether it be the man building the house, whether it be the watchman guarding the walls, or whether it be the laborer who goes out to work all day long, unless the Lord bless that labor, it is in vain. So we consider that too, and ought to consider that in our prayers. We do not simply ask God for what we need, but we ask God to provide it with His blessing. Consider tonight Jehovah's blessing on our earthly labor. Jehovah's blessing on our earthly labor. The text is about laboring. Not only does it mention the word, but all the activity pertains to labor. Three specific things are mentioned. A man that labors to build a house. Then there is a man who labors keeping the city, watching the walls in order to keep the city. And finally, the man who labors rising up early and laboring until late in the evening for his earthly bread. Necessary for us tonight to understand especially what the psalmist is talking about here in this passage because there are two sorts of labor that we engage in as children of God. There is in the first place spiritual labors. Labors that we engage in spiritually. Although the body is involved, they are spiritual labors that pertain to matters of the kingdom of God. They are matters that pertain to serving God and praising God. They are matters that pertain to worship. They are matters that pertain to ordering a godly life and family of supporting the church and maintaining the schools, matters of obeying God. And then there are earthly labors. They may be the labors of one's occupation, whether it be farming or whether it be laboring in a factory, whether it be doctoring individuals or nursing whether it be laboring in the home as a housewife or a homemaker, 
There are all those labors, the labors that pertain to getting of groceries and of buying them, matters of obtaining a paycheck and dispensing money to pay the bills. These are a legitimate and even necessary part of our earthly life because they too are ordained of God. They are a necessary part of human life as ordained by God. This is the way even that God provides for our earthly necessities. That is in part what God meant when He told Adam that He would labor in his life. That was God saying, this is the way that you will be provided for. These things are hard to separate, strictly speaking. They really not cannot be separated for a child of God. And that is because even when one labors in one earthly life, he does not labor merely because he must that is, if he doesn't, he will starve. If he doesn't, he will not have a roof over his head. But he does so in obedience to God because he recognizes that this is God's calling for him as a child of God. It's not only to work in the sphere of the kingdom of God, but to work providing for and with matters pertaining to his earthly physical life. Now the point that we ought to see here in the text is the text concerns the latter. Earthly, physical labor. Now as I said, exactly because earthly and spiritual labor can hardly be separated with regard to a child of God, there certainly is a very, very wonderful spiritual application of the passage Certainly, the passage refers to, at least in part, to the man who's laboring, building his family, that house. Not the building, but the family that lives in the house. And certainly, there's a spiritual labor that it's applied, can be applied to with regard to, for example, elders who stand spiritually on the watch on the walls of Zion watching for enemies and protecting the flock. Certainly, even the last example can be applied to the fact that we ourselves must be diligent day and night with regard to spiritual labors. We are always in prayer and supplication, always considering everything that we do in the light of God's Word. But that's not what the text is about in the first place. And that's evident from the very examples that are given. They are a literal reference to building a physical house and guarding the physical walls of a physical city and literally going out to labor day by day. And we need to do justice to that aspect of the text which can easily be overlooked. When we see the text in that light, we should see also then that it refers to necessary and important labors with regard to a child of God. It's not talking about sinful labors, greedy labors, frivolous labors. It's not talking about a man who goes out to build a palace, but a house, and builds a house because he needs a house. He needs shelter. 
and the labors of the man in the city aren't to build fancy buildings and expand the city so that it's a cultural center and Mecca for everybody to attend, but he's on the walls watching because there are enemies that want to destroy the city, and the man that labors from early morning to late in the night is laboring because he needs to eat. Now, the profound statement of the passage is that all of that labor, all such labor, all earthly labor represented by those three things, building a house, watching over a city, and going to work each day, that all of those labors are vain unless the Lord also is active working in those same labors. That's the idea of the text when it says, except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Unless the Lord goes out and works with you from sunup till sundown, all of that labor is vanity. Now here too we have to understand precisely what the text is talking about because there is a very real sense in which God is already at work and goes to work in His providence that may not be overlooked. We may not look at this text and say to ourselves that there is no sense whatsoever in which God ever labors building a house or watching a city. In fact, the opposite is true even with regard to the ungodly man. For you see, in providence, it is the Lord, it is the Lord God even, who is sovereign over that. And not now sovereign from a distance, but even with regard to the ungodly, in Him we live and move and have our being. That even the ungodly builder cannot go out and build a house, whether it be a fine house or a terrible built house. It is the Lord who gives the man that his tools. It is the Lord who gives that man the muscles and the skills. It is the Lord who gives that man the will to go out and do that. It is the Lord who indeed builds a city when a city is built. And it is the Lord who labors watching when there is a man on those walls watching. Take the Lord away. And such a city and such a man and such a building all cease to exist. We may never forget that. But that God is always working. God is always laboring. Whether it's causing the rain to come down from the sky. Whether it's causing the rivers to flow. The cow to eat or the man to build his house. The Lord is operating and working through all those labors. There is no one who can labor or work apart from or separate from God. But that's not really what the text 
is talking about. Now that's important. It's important to recognize God's sovereignty and God's labor in all that we do. Certainly we often do that when we gather here together on a prayer day. That truth underlies all of prayer day. We come together for prayer day acknowledging that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. God is the God who continues even now to sustain and hold and govern all things by His fatherly hand. We come here acknowledging that God is not far away, even though He be transcendent and majestic and all-glorious, but He's eminent. He's very close. He's all around us. He's laboring. He's working. He's busy. He's not sleeping. We come together on prayer day and prayer to God, pray to God acknowledging that He's our God not only in certain times. We come here not acknowledging that God is only with us in spiritual matters, but we do so acknowledging that God is with us and needs to be with us. And we need to acknowledge God being with us in everything that we do. Both kinds of labor. But the text isn't really referring to God's work of providence here. And that's evident because it allows for the possibility that God may not be busy in certain work of building a building. That's why it says, except the Lord build the house. And except the Lord watch those walls. It's referring to a different activity of God that's necessary if that work is not to be vain. The fact is, the text is referring to the activity of God blessing that work. That's the idea when it says, except the Lord build the house. The idea is that except the Lord bless the work of that man who's building his house, and except the Lord bless the man who's watching over the walls. Except the Lord do that, then he wakes in vain. That implies there's some building of a house in which God does not build at all. That does not deny He's not present. It does not deny that He's there in His providence. But what it's saying is He doesn't bless that work. He's far away from that work as far as His blessing is concerned. That's the activity of God that we seek in prayer and that we may not forget even when we beseech God with regard to our earthly work and labor. We seek His blessing. And we seek that blessing as absolutely necessary to any of our earthly labor. The idea of the passage is that we may not consider any earthly labor, whether it's vacuuming our floors, whether it's building our house, or even putting a roof on our house, whether it's going out one single day for a job. It does not matter what it is, except the Lord do it. Except the Lord bless it. It's vain. Three times that's set forth really in the passage. That's the whole idea of the passage. And by vanity now, the psalmist means empty, worthless. That's what vanity means. That work is good for nothing. 
In vain means that it would have been better not to engage in it at all. After all, we're talking about labor here. We're talking about work here. The idea is that a man goes through all the labor, all the expense, all the time of building a house by hand. And the text comes along and says, that labor is worthless. That labor is empty. Now think of the condemnation of that. Especially in light of the fact that we're talking about here work that a man has to do. He has to build a house, otherwise he doesn't have a place to live. He has to watch over the city or the enemies overrun it. He has to go out and get a job, otherwise he will starve. Now the passage here really exposes as false two notions that we may have, that we may suppose with regard to such matters. The first is that we suppose that the Lord's blessing is upon all earthly labors. That exactly because God is involved with all labors by His providence, because God is the one in whom we live and move and have our breathe, because God is the one who gives every man his life, gives every man his muscles, gives every man his skills, gives every man the wherewithal to build a house, build a city, or go off to work, that therefore God's blessing is upon all those labors. This passage doesn't allow for that. This passage clearly sets forth that a man can build, could build, he could watch, he could go off to work, and that work not be blessed at all. And we have to remember that. We have to remember that. In fact, if it's true that the Lord blesses all labors, then the text really is false. If it's true that the Lord really blesses all labors, then we may say that the man who builds the biggest house and the best house and the most house, he's the most blessed. And the poor ungodly man who's not able to build a house for some reason, he's cursed. This text dispels that notion. But also, an equally pernicious error that we can make, which is that we suppose the Lord's blessings not required on earthly labor at all. That we don't need really the Lord's blessing to make a work profitable or to make it worthwhile. That we imagine to ourselves that I can go off to work today and I can labor all day and whether I have the Lord's blessing or not really doesn't matter. That I can spend considerable time and effort and labor building a house. And it's really not necessary at all that the Lord bless the building of that house. Of course, I need His blessings with matters pertaining to church, with matters pertaining to worship, with matters pertaining to praise, and all such things. Oh yes, I do not deny that at all, but I really don't need His labors, His blessing when it comes to all the other labors. It's not true. The passage says, without it, it's all vanity. Now, the text really doesn't spell out the vanity as such. We could look at it a number of ways. Number one, unless the Lord uh, blesses a man's work and labor, then it's vanity because the Lord can destroy. The Lord can bring great calamity. The Lord can bring all kinds of things that come and destroy that house, that destroy that city, that ruin a man's labor. 
The Lord could quickly take away a job and blow down a house and make the walls of a city tumble down. But that's not the only way that things can become vanity. It's not necessarily that way, but it can also be this, that God directly curses that work. In fact, that's what, in fact, is going on if God does not bless the work. It's not like there's a neutrality with God. That He blesses the work, or that He's somewhat ambivalent, or yet a third option, that He curses it. No, either blesses or He curses it. The Bible's very clear that the curse of the Lord is in the house of the ungodly. That if the Lord does not bless the building of your house, then He curses it. If the Lord does not bless your going to work day after day after day, then He curses it. And you say, well, how does He curse it? And the answer is, He makes it worthless. But you say, wow, look at that house. It's worth a half a million dollars. How can that be worthless? Oh, the Lord makes it worthless. Like the fool who had a prosperous harbor harvest and said, I'm going to just build bigger barns. You know, eat, drink, and be merry. I have it all. And the Lord said, thou fool, thou fool, tonight your life will be required. And all of that labor, all of those things go to somebody else. You can't take it with you. How easily man forgets that he can build the biggest city, the biggest civilization, the biggest nations, and many have. Nations that have conquered all other nations. And they're gone. They're ruined. God brings all things to naught. Even all things pertaining to the earthly. He does that by sin. He does that by death. The Lord can curse your labor. He could take all the money and a considerable paycheck and turn it all against you. You can amass fortunes. You can amass cars and houses. Wealth beyond your imagination. God turns it all against you. It all serves to curse you and bring you down to hell. That's really not exactly what the text is talking about either. And you can get at what the psalmist has in mind when in a little bit you consider the blessing, which is rest. That means that God can curse a man's labor. God can make it vanity by not giving someone rest in their labors. Rest from their labors. You may put it this way, that God withholds a man from a man in his labors joy, withholds comfort, withholds contentment. So that you have a man, he builds a house, he builds and builds and builds, he gets the house done, but he's not content. No sooner is he done building and he's thinking about the next house or how he can make the house bigger, how he can make it grander, how he can make it better. Lives in a city that's safe, free from all enemies. But the man wants more. Wants more prosperity. Wants to live in a more prosperous economy. The man goes out and works. He has everything that he needs, but he's not content in that. He wants more and more and more. He has no rest. No rest for his soul. 
Oh, he may look content, he may look happy, but he has no rest for his soul. Beloved, hopefully that does not describe you. Does not describe you in your earthly labors. Because, of course, if that's the case with us with regard to our earthly labors, then that's the way we're going to be in our spiritual labors too, are we not? Are they not tied together in one way or another? How could we come to the house of God and be content with His salvation, be content with what He's given us in our Lord Jesus Christ if we have no rest, if we have no contentment, if we have no joy and comfort with regard to earthly matters because we have not asked God for His blessing? It happens. It happens exactly because we do not recognize this We're blind to it. We're ignorant of it. And the Lord sometimes withholds His blessing even to wake us up and make us recognize. Look at all your labor. Look at all your work. Look at you spinning your wheels. And where are you getting? Are you getting more content? Finding more rest, more joy, more happiness? And the answer often is no, no, no. Is this the reason why so many are filled with anxiety? Anxiety where they can't even come to church. Anxious over this. Anxious over that. Filled with despair over this and filled with despair over that. Maybe the problem is we have not sought the Lord's blessing with even earthly labors. The blessing promised to those who trust in God, to those who live by these words in faith, is rest. Of course, there's more than that. The blessing of those who trust in God and seek His blessing is that when I build this house, God is building this house. God is right there with me. He's making sure that every move that I make, everything that pertains to what I'm doing, works out for my advantage and for my salvation. The Lord is here on the walls with me, watching over the city from the enemy. The Lord is going with me as I walk out the door today in the dark to go labor at my job. It's quite a thing that the Lord gives. And understand, the Lord doesn't give that to all men. That's the accept. The Lord withholds that from some men. The Lord in the text gives it to those whom are called beloved, for so He giveth His beloved sleep. God blesses the earthly labors of those whom He has loved in all eternity. God blesses the earthly labors of those for whom He has given His Son, Jesus Christ, for those in whom He has shed the love of His Son in their hearts. Those that He calls beloved and those for whom He is their Father. It's an amazing thing for us to consider among the many things that we ought to be thankful for. Again, one of the benefits of a prayer day is to connect more closely than we often do. The spiritual where the earthly To remember that even in matters earthly, the things that we might consider mundane, the things that we do six days out of the week without hardly giving it a thought, 
of how much we need the Lord's blessing. This is why a man should read and pray to the Lord after he gets up in the morning before he heads out the door. This is why we pray on our beds at night at the end of the day, thanking the Lord not only for the labor we had, but for blessing that labor. And do not overlook what that blessing really is. It's summarized in this text very simply as giving his beloved sleep. Sleep. The Lord's blessing does not come to us this way by saying, oh, you won't have to labor anymore. Once you're done building that house, you won't need to build a house ever again. Once you head out the door today and go work, you're going to earn enough work in this day to never have to work again. There will never be any enemies for you to need to go up on the walls and, and watch those walls. No, that's, that's not the Lord's blessing. The Lord's blessing is, isn't even that He takes away really the toil and the labor of that work. Work remains work. But He gives us rest. And, and don't minimize that. Here too, we can take for granted our need for rest and God's blessing in rest. God often, literally, beloved, takes away the rest of the wicked. The sleep from the wicked. They're not only busy day, but also night getting more and more, wanting more and more. And then when they get more, they lie at wake wondering about what's going to happen, when's it's going to be lost, how they can get more. Restless, restless, in turmoil, turmoil again and again, over and over. But a child of God who has the Lord's blessing can crawl in bed at the end of the night and go to sleep. And sleep peaceably. Even go to bed realizing that if I don't wake up in the morning, God my soul will take and my earthly labors are all over. He gives us rest, even earthly rest. Not just spiritual rest, earthly rest. But here too, here too, when you look at that word rest, is it just talking about physical sleep at the end of the day? No, of course not. It's talking about the rest of contentment. The rest of joy. The rest whereby where if and if we have just what we need for today, we say, the Lord be thanked. The Lord be praised that He gave me a job today that allowed me to earn what I need for today. I don't need anything tomorrow. Imagine that kind of contentment, beloved. That's the blessing of the Lord. And if we are not content, if all we can ever think about is go, 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 do more, do more, do more, because we need, 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 then we may question whether we have the Lord's blessing upon our labors or whether we're even seeking that at all. For to His beloved, He gives sleep. And God gives that, of course, in the answer to prayers. That's why we're considering it tonight. Surely you notice that the text itself is not an exhortation to prayer. It doesn't really say anything about prayer. It's simply a statement of fact. It's a truth. It's the gospel truth. It's the truth that is true in our Lord Jesus Christ to our, us who are His beloved. But why is it there? 
so that we go to Him in prayer. So that we go to Him and pray not only for a house, a safe city to live in, so we go to Him and pray for a job, but so that we go to Him and, and pray for His blessing. So that we pray, Lord, build this house with me. Lord, stand here on the walls and watch with me. Lord, go off to me with me to work today. Bless these labors. Bless this work. Give me, O oh Lord, that rest that I need in all these labors. And He gives it. To that man, He answers His prayers. And that man will not be worrying about what he has to eat and where. He won't be worried about whether he will have a job or not, whether he will be sick or healthy. That man will not be running around boasting all over the place about what he has, showing off the things he's earned. He won't be going to bed at night worried about whether he loses what he has either. He won't use the fruits of his labors to glorify himself and his fellow man, but we use them for the matters of the kingdom of heaven and do so willingly and gladly. And so, brothers and sisters, beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ, consider that on this prayer day. Let us pray to God for work, for labor, but especially for His blessing upon that labor. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we thank Thee for work and labor. We thank Thee for providing for us. And we pray, O Lord, build the house. Build the house with us. Keep the city and go with us to our work as we rise up and go to eat our bread so that we do not eat our bread in sorrows. Bless our labors, O Lord. Give us rest. Give us contentment and joy. Give us to be thankful in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.